Welcome to another episode of Bringing Down the Grindhouse, a podcast where we discuss horror in media. And tonight, lock your doors. Don't let strangers in and protect your children as we explore the Babadook. I'm Mitch. I'm Murr. I'm Justine. And I'm Jonathan. I got so hyped up on you. Were hyped. You were hyped on the <laughs> intro. So nice on you were ready for that. Because it's like one of my things. Good job, It's like man. the thing. I like having a thing. You do great intros. Can you, I appreciate wait, that. Can you yeah. do the Baba Duke Duke Duke? Yeah, do it's it. Like do the Baba Duke It's like a scratchy Duke. voice. Baba Duke Duke Duke. There you go. Oh, shit. There you go. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, that was a good right. one. Shit. All right. I think I want to just cut that little bit out and just use it for the yeah, preview. Yeah, right. I, I, I am a, a flutter. Thank you. I like it. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh, he's blushing over here. Uh, oh. Yeah. Oh. So Damn. we're we're only talking about the Babadook because there is a lot to go through on just this single film. Doing all right there, Mary? Yeah, we're doing fine. Yeah. Perfectly yeah. fine. Sorry, I'm just trying to get my notes in order. My, I got so distracted. My vape is all over the place. <laughs> my digi ciggy. Digi ciggy. Yeah. yeah. Right. Had yeah. That. Whenever when all, when cigarettes went digital, all right, <laughs> analog was out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now we just gotta call cigarettes analog cigarettes if you're using the old school method. True. Or I you prefer could, analog. Call me old fashioned. I wonder which one will kill you faster. It's a good question. <laughs> Do we? All right, no more e cigs at the table, boys. Yeah. <laughs> what table? I'm gonna, yes. That's true. No more e cigs in the house, children. So I think we should start off by saying if we've had any ghost stories encounters ourselves. Does anybody have any good ghost stories? I have like a mild one from when I was younger. It's not really a story, but just something that would occur. As I think it was probably around preschool, kindergarten age, and. I had this old like antique chair that would sit in the corner of my room and only when it was dark, it wouldn't matter if it was daytime or nighttime, but if it was dark in my room, I would see this little misty figure sitting in the chair. And in my age, I just thought it was like another child. And so I would try to play with it. And it didn't occur to me that I was like, you know, possibly having an encounter with a spirit until I got older. I was like, okay, well... (laughs) That just that made me think of when I was first watching the Babadook. I thought that the kid was uh, like fighting a bunch of random monsters or demons. Mm-hmm. And that's why he was always making those weapons during the film. But it turned out just to be the one Babadook in it. But that's what it makes me think of. Yeah. Also, kids always have imaginary friends. And I'm always weirded out by that. Yeah. It's interesting what children <laughs> can perceive because... It- yeah. You know, like at that age, they haven't really been told what to believe in yet. Right. They have and no filter. So, for yeah, anything. they have no filter. And so they simply like react to what's in front of them. And maybe it's not something that we choose to believe in or can actually see. But to them, it's very real. Yeah, exactly. I was reminded of like the Haunting on Hill House. Oh, oh that's a good I need one. To finish that. It's a good show. Um, but there's one part where uh, orphan child gets adopted. And, like, the guy who adopted her actually, like, sexually abuses her Jeez. in the basement. But the thing is, she talks about this monster called Mr. Smiley. And the thing is, um, one of the girls there, she, like, one of the main characters, she could, like, connect with the spirit world if she touches it with her bare hands. That's why she always wears gloves. Oh. So she goes into the basement, and she, like, touches the couch, and she realizes what happens. And she lays down on the couch, and she sees in the ceiling, like, in the area of the wood, 
like the wood grain makes a smiley face. Oh. So in her like child brain, she made Mr. Smiley a monster because it was yeah. her foster parent. Yeah, she had no way to process what was happening, so she created that. Yeah. God damn. It was it was horrible to hear that. Yeah. Another theme of processing trauma, which is discussed a lot, I feel, in this movie. Yeah. Almost the entirety of the film is about the main character dealing with her own traumatic events and the fallout from what happens when she loses a loved one and then has to like move forward with her life. Speaking about losing a loved one, my mom has like a spiritual kind of thing that happened with her. What happened? So <clears throat> there was one day she went to work. And her coworker came to her and said, uh, she kept calling her Teresa the entire day. Oh, jeez. She said, like, four times. My mom's name is Christina. And Teresa is the name of my grandmother. She called her Teresa four times that day. Oh, my God. She's like, my name's not Teresa. My name's Christina. She's like, oh, okay. And then they went to, you know, they went on there with their day. Next day happens. She's like, I had a dream, and I was talking to your mother. And she wants me to wants you to know that she's watching over you right now oh my god and that she's very proud of you for graduating school and doing everything good with your life right now what and so she was like i think that's why she was calling her Teresa because my grandma was actually trying to reach out to her it's interesting that woman was likely in some ways a medium she she was extra sensitive to that sort of spiritual energy that's the thing like that's what my mom believes yeah she is a medium but also my my boss hi steve (laughs) Uh, (laughs) does he listen no oh okay but Uh, tell him to listen to this one yeah so he told us about a time where he this was like 70s or 80s was doing a lot of acid with his friends (laughs) and uh they're both chilling on the couch bong in hand chips on the fucking table and they look up at the ceiling and they see a white uh ring around a black ball what and they're just like yo <laughs> both of them are seeing this like are you seeing this and then in the split second it goes whoosh, and it squishes into the table and then it zooms as fat he, he said as fast as it could out the window and they heard a fucking grass glass cracking and so like they were just like what the fuck was that and then after they came down they checked the window and there was a hole in the window what that's insane oh my god just a couple of aliens checking out these stoners what a trip <laughs> what are you guys doing over oh shit <laughs> they, could fucking they see spotted me. us they right. could see us lsd suddenly took down the fucking the, like, invisible barrier, invisible barrier. Thing. yeah <laughs> it's always funny what force fuck, field it's always funny what fucking bosses will tell you when you're at like a work party or whatever and drinks are flowing and they're just like all right off the record though oh, <laughs> right. i had this weird experience what about you mitch anything weird creepy scary noises or are you not susceptible to these things the house that i live in currently i used to live in all by myself it's a big house it's a pretty big house that is a big house all by myself creepy and so i would always hear like weird noises and stuff like that from the inside of the house but i've never like had anything like that directly affected me so it would be something like a door suddenly like slams in the house and like, like at the middle, in the middle of the night, you know, you just hear a slam and there's no one else that lives here. My door to my bedroom does this and it may just be like air currents, but it happens pretty frequently. If it's like just barely open, it'll like close itself right? and whatnot. And so this may be air currents. 
I'm going to say it's Eric because that happens yeah. to my door. Yeah, exactly. But I've always, you know, believed still that it's haunted. Out, but still, yeah. like, still, like, just things doing things on their own is not right. <laughs> See, but that gets into, like, are you sleeping with your door open? No, it's usually closed. It, so, okay. So, it'll just happen, like, when you're just sitting in there doing random shit? Yeah. Oh, okay. Is your door, like, easily openable? Like, if you were to just push on it, would it open? Not unless it's, like, fully closed. If it's, like, if you if you don't haven't put, like, the, I guess, what is that called? Like, the tumbler? I yeah. guess whatever that bit is called. The tumbler. If the tumbler's not fully in the door, it's not, it will, it, it can be easily opened. But yeah. if it's, like, fully closed, then it's fine. But sometimes, like, you know, I don't fully close the door. Yeah. And it, like, yeah. slams shut. So it might be, it might just be air currents. But you know what? <laughs> Things that slam in the middle of the night are just you know cause for concern huh? yeah that would freak me out i get spooked really easily so anytime the door like slightly moves because it creaks i'm just freaking Same. out but i i discovered that if you put any weight onto this bedroom door in this apartment it'll just open and i found that out because bronson scared the shit out of me one night the cat but yeah my cat not some random dude <laughs> <laughs> my cat he, he's a big boy so he came and like pushed on the door and it just flung open, and I thought somebody had just opened the door to my bedroom. And I looked down, and he meowed at me, and I was like, oh, shit, okay, he can open this door. <laughs> <laughs> and since then, I've slept with it, like, kind of creaked open, so he can just go into the room whenever he wants. It's kind of funny. I mean, cats always fucking do that. Cause, they, like, they scare the shit out of they me They always sometimes. find a way. <laughs> They're so meticulous. Like, uh, my friend Noah, his cat, Janie. We were all alone in the house, watching the house, and we just hear, dun, 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 dun. Oh we're my like, God. what the fuck? Someone's at the fucking door outside, like on the side door trying to get in. And we're like, it's just all fucking battle ready. <laughs> and then we hear it. It's in the guest room, and it's fucking Janie locked herself inside a fucking cabinet. Just like, God Poor damn it, cat. cat. <laughs> Got locked in a cabinet? Yeah, she's that crazy. Sucks. All right, so the Duke. Right. Let's, let's segue into some production for this because it's pretty interesting. And she's, this is like her debut. This is her one. Well, actually, did she make one other film for this? She made a short film that was basically the body. That's right. Yeah. It was called The Monster, I believe. She yeah. had done some acting previously on some TV series in Australia. Right. So she is an Australian director. It was filmed in Australia and also got a grant from the government, which is a thing that literally every other country does besides the U.S., because we suck. Fuck. Well, I mean, like, we have the American Film Institute, but, like, they don't give anybody money. They're like, give us money. Like, we're your distributors, and they're kind of shitty for that. But anyway, Australia was like, we'll give you a grant if you film it in certain parts of the city. And That's so dope. they gave her <clears throat> some money to get the film started and um, to create the feature length. Like you said, she had created the original, which is why I think the story is so good. She made a short film about it. And what is uh, her name? Uh, her name is Jennifer Kent. She is... Uh, one of the directors who debuted a film at the 2014 Sundance Film Festival. It didn't win any awards, but it, it I think that year it had Whiplash. So Whiplash kind of swept the floor with yeah. everything. <laughs> it's hard. To and it's a good to, movie. Whiplash is amazing. Whiplash. Yeah. Like, that's a tough one to fight against. Um, and it wasn't a commercial success in Australia. It actually was much more successful in the U.S. and other parts of the world. So I don't know. Maybe it just struck a little too close to home for some Australians <laughs> of like dealing with some mental illness or depression but it was it was not a hit and then it got limited release and then she got into the festival at sundance and then got more wide release and much more acclaim so the film in the u.s and in europe uh basically grossed what 10.3 million 
with a two million dollar budget yeah nice. so she made a good amount of money on it yeah especially with a two million dollar budget she also notes that she will never make a sequel yeah i mean i don't know why you would a lot of people come to her and she says no matter no amount of money will ever get me to make one nice also they they mass like commissioned a bunch of these like the books that you see within the movie yeah they had a pre-order for them the first 2000 were signed and they eventually sold 9500 units of the babadook book dang they were 80 dollars each oh i would have bought one those are legit is it like the full story and full pop out with everything all the little sliders they're all handmade too yeah i would be afraid to have that in my house (laughs) kind of a creepy book to have on your shelf cursed object no thank you yeah for real it really is a cursed object yeah i I don't need any demon portals in my home no thank you (laughs) um kent studied at the national institute of dramatic arts or nida where she learned acting alongside essie davis who is the lead actress in the film and so they were actually pretty good friends before making this film and i believe she was with her when they were making the short film so they were easily able to adapt it into a feature-length film and then starred her in the lead role which she's fantastic she's the most believable of all the characters i think when you watch it uh, in addition to the kid just being fucking nuts. <laughs> I was just like, this is well done for a kid actor. I know, that kid is great. It's really interesting the method they chose to use for getting him to yeah. be able to portray these roles. Um, there's a lot of scenes in this movie where the mother is just spewing violent obscenities at the child. She's so mad. And, you know, the director felt that it would be wrong of her to like, expose a child to this sort of language you know yeah it was i mean she even commented at some point that she wasn't going to ruin some kid's childhood yeah. because she wanted to make a film and so they had a stand-in which is just a dude like on his knees yeah <laughs> and so with all the scenes of the mother yelling at the child the child wasn't actually there it was just some dude on his knees acting as the child and when it was the child's time to be filmed they had uh the mother just say some random stuff to like get the child wound up like oh i took your legos and put them in concrete and i'm gonna throw them to the bottom of the river and you'd be like no what the heck very light stuff mom <laughs> destroying this child's whole world yeah. <laughs> uh because of this there was no script reading so they didn't have a sit down before the film was uh like went into production so they were getting their lines like on set right before they filmed it fuck that's kind of hard very little uh like practice time for it so they would shoot things occasionally like several times and she ended up filming way over like the time that they were needing because she would just have these scenes flow like naturally she wouldn't just yell like cut in action yeah she would like she would prep them there was never like takes it was more like she would start to talk with the actors and like maybe work them through some exercises and then have them like start to act out scenes and but there would never be a moment where she was like okay start rolling now because she would just keep rolling the whole time and she made a note that like the people (laughs) in editing hated her because there was just tons and tons of footage that they would have to be like okay yeah this this looks good this is the one we're gonna use one hour 41 minutes right here yeah (laughs) right so one hour 52 minutes here (laughs) right and I mean, it yeah. makes it makes a lot of sense that you would have gone and like pursued acting first, and then it may, her choices make sense based upon right. her acting background, simply because it may, makes that means that she was probably more concerned with what how the actors are going to portray her scenes and whatnot, 
rather yeah. than what the editing crew is because she's kind of like the editors are paid to fucking deal with bullshit yeah that's, 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 that's what your job is yeah like, make this a watchable film yeah and also like you know so she's more concerned with her actors getting their parts right yeah you know doing the scenes correctly and so that makes a lot of sense especially since they didn't have a reading beforehand or anything yeah. like that she also did that because she really wanted the energy of the cast to be up. And, you know, when you go through just reading lines over and over again, eventually they start to cut, become sort of mechanical yeah. and monotonous. And this way, when you encounter each like section of the movie, each line, it's anew. You know, it's completely different than you might have encountered it before. She got I think that's something that keeps the interest of this film as well yeah. is because of the I think just of the like the the good performances from pretty much everybody in the movie yeah. does it does a very good job of playing the, the role the role that they're in uh yeah that's all, that's all I have to say about that uh, I think it was well acted as well the, she's just phenomenal as a lead actor and just driving home the point of her suffering from all the things that are happening in the film I felt nuts. very stressed out. Yeah, you're yeah. stressed watching her. <laughs> I was just like, "Fuck this!" This she movie can't catch a break. This movie and Eraserhead make me never want to have fucking There's kids. So There's many so many illusions. Yeah, so yeah. many similarities in these two films because they both experience some heavy fear of parenthood and having to deal with things while also having to raise a child. Also heavy on the German expressionism. Yeah, so she really, really wanted this film to be in black and white. But after several talks with the production company and a few other people, she decided not to do that and instead went with a darker palette. And so the set is meticulously built. She did every single detail on these things and like made sure it looked exactly how it looked. I love how the, what is it? When the, um, the I talked about in the Eraserhead episode, it's the space that accompanies the area. Um, oh, mise en scène? Mise en scène. Yeah. So I love this because the kid is like obsessed with 50s like sci-fi retro horror movies and shit. Yeah. And it's like it's like what they're watching on the TV at some point. Yeah. You got all these old school posters for like Forbidden Planet. Uh, yeah. Shit. And then you see the like you see, you know, Bella Lugosi and fucking uh, Lon yeah, Chaney Jr. So great. In the fucking I love that. Movies. Also. They like they use those 1930 fucking movies that like look satanist as fuck. Yeah, I just have is. these weird montages of dancing creatures. Yo, it's hard though. <laughs> uh, what is that? Uh, watch a trip to the moon. Yeah, oh, <laughs> some right. weird shit. <laughs> Especially when you watch the colorized version. Oh, I don't want to. Yeah, yeah. that shit is wild. No, thank you. Uh, I mean, she mentions that she was heavily influenced by the 1950s like B grade horror films, so you can see it both in her like paying homage to those films by having it like literally in the movie but also the way that the that it was filmed it was grainy and it was very dark and she knew how to use lighting really well yeah the whole thing looked very gritty and dirty and just felt like completely in disarray i mean even the the lead role hair completely disheveled dark eyes dark circles under her eyes just always yeah. like exhausted oh, yeah. but putting on a face she progressively starts getting like she starts looking worse and worse as the film goes on i thought it was intense when like the fucking home uh, like the child protect protective services right? kind of people came in she's like oh i'm just cleaning there's a hole in the wall um and there was no hole <laughs> i'm yeah. just like I going, was just like, these guys crazy. are going to take your fucking kid. You look like a psychopath yeah. right now. I know. She's like, I have a cockroach problem. And the kid's like, I'm on drugs. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> this kid is is so... I never wanted to punch a child. 
<laughs> but like well, watching this film, I was like, I am so frustrated. Well, that's with this the thing. Kid. He just speaks his mind, right? Yeah. Just yeah. Like his father did. He has like zero filter but on whatever he's that's saying. That's the thing about kids. Like you try to tell them that you try to teach them to tell the truth, <laughs> but then that backfires. Oh my god. Then they tell nothing but then the they, truth. Then they the tell nothing possible but the truth. times. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. Definitely. I, I've I've had it where I know a relative and like their daughter will be like. Oh, my mom's really nice when she's not drinking. And it's just like, uh, fuck. It's like, okay, Susie, go play with the kids. Oh, go my God. Just, <laughs> go make me another drink. <laughs> As a child. Oh, no. I was, uh, I, I had no filter. Oh. And um, one day we went to Sea Plantation <laughs> with the whole family. And a family friend worked at Sea Plantation. Yeah. So we were getting a discount. You know, it's, that's my understanding of things. Oh, I love this story. And so I, like, wandered up to the, uh, the pasta section where she was working. And I looked at her and I was like, you're fat. Oh, Fuck. No. And that was it. And that was all I said. And she began crying. Oh, I, no. as a child, made someone cry with my honesty. <laughs> oh. Was it honest? I don't really know. I don't remember. She was a fa- she was like a larger lady, sure. Wow. But you know, horrible, terrible. Yeah. Oh man. Awful child, right? No, my parents were just like, "What the fuck did you just say?" <laughs> like they like, "What did you? Oh, you're fucking. You're done. Just we're not coming tears. back to the plantation oh, ever again." God. Now that's no again. soft serve for you. Yeah. But here- so not my favorite part. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. She's like a single parent dealing with a fucking batshit child why are you like this <laughs> screams oh, it's literally man. got turned into a meme it's it the was meme so of the movie funny. i watched and i was like here's the meme yeah, <laughs> this is the meme but she's a single mom father deceased on the fucking like on the day of her birth of his birth like that has to be heavy yeah like it's the best day of your life but it's the worst day of your fucking life if i remember right they're on the way to the hospital right yeah when they get into the car crash it's about a rain yeah and I can only imagine what kind of guilt she's going through. Yeah. Like, she's probably obviously very traumatized by the experience and probably taking some responsibility. Like, oh, yeah. he was on the way to deliver this child. And then also having this weird relationship with the child as he came out of such a horrible event. Yeah, this this is like heavy symbolism to how women will feel in postpartum depression after yeah. having their child and not wanting it like at all mm-hmm. and have to deal with like a like a month of sometimes years of just not wanting to be around your child it has to be a very like d- crazy feeling like not wanting a child but actually having one yeah unintentionally this gets into a lot of like body horror stuff too that other movies have talked about where there are people who are terrified of having something grow inside them and it's just like, how are you going to feel about this pregnancy? And then when there's just pretty much all of the gore of having a child and then your body recovering after that. So there's just so many things that they touch on. But this movie focuses really heavily onto the mental illness aspect of what happens after certain traumatic events. And that's like the, one of the biggest things that you end up seeing in it. And like before I go into like analyzing some of that stuff. Kent has cited that um, her influences include David Lynch, of course, and Roman Polanski. There was one shot that was just stolen from Eraserhead completely. I'm sure. Wait, which one? When she falls back into the bed and gets oh, a good oh, night yeah. rest. Fucking sleep. Yeah, I feel like she saw, what was it, Blue Velvet, and was like, yep, that's the shot that's I want to redo. Because it looks almost exactly like it. It was beautiful. I was really happy for her to get sleep. I, I was like, fuck yeah. yeah, give that kid a fucking pill. Okay, but like when she was trying to masturbate, that was a hilarious scene. Oh, man. That pissed me off, too. <laughs> she was, like, ready to go. <laughs> and this I kid, felt the frustration. Oh, my God. Yeah, you're like, oh, this <sighs> fucking kid. Also, not a common thing you see in film. 
Right. The only other one I can think of is the Shape of Water, where right? the, the main girl masturbates is like part of her morning routine. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's like, my kind of morning yeah, routine. Yeah, she has like a little timer that she sets onto the uh, uh, onto the sink. <laughs> it's like, all right, I got ten minutes. Yeah, it's like it's so funny. But that was the only t- only other time I could think of. And then um, the guy who made the uh, soundtrack was the guy who made the music for Alien Covenant. And it eventually got turned into a vinyl record that Waxwork Records made. And they're like, they're pretty famous for making very specialized vinyl pieces for like mostly obscure films and then like some indie films. But that very was, similar to the Mondo guys, kind of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they do. They do like limited releases. So the one time they make it is like the only time you can pick it up. I they love won't you, Ralph the Sheik. <laughs> And then, of course, it casts Essie uh, Davis as Amelia Vanek and Noah Wiseman as Samuel Vanek. Samuel! Samuel! <laughs> so right off the bat, what did you guys think? What were your initial thoughts? Like, does something stand out to you? It's an interesting premise, having to deal with a monster that is, like, manifested from the kid's head but actually represents more. Yeah. And then, like, how they deal with it. It also gets, like, some exorcist vibes in the middle. Because the, oh, the monster yeah. takes I love over. I the call out from him. So the director of The Exorcist said that this movie truly terrified him, and it's one of his favorite films. Yeah. There you <laughs> go. So I was like, that's such fucking a good call out from snaps. another director. <laughs> it's like good fucking praise and worth it. Yeah. But here's the thing. like, I also found out that The Babadook was an – it was <laughs> – like a viral meme it is a viral meme because like they accidentally put in the lgbt section of netflix so it it became a unironic gay icon for like a lot of people for some reason i believe it but they're like look he brings you a book and then you destroy it so he puts it back together because drama i was just Uh. like fuck yeah there there was a lot of stuff released about that afterwards where they were trying to like connect yeah, the Vice two. did a whole article on it. A fucking Vice. They'll do an article on anything. Vice is like, I don't know how to feel about them anymore because they originally started off really well, and now I'm just like, what are you doing? Yeah, I, oh, I think the funniest new Vice article, sorry, I'm going on a tangent, but it was just uh, like, it was like nine to five, the life of a full-time Target worker. <laughs> I was like, all right, here we go. It's like, I don't want to be that depressed. Come on. Uh, I like the jokes about the Vice people who are just in the middle of a war zone. Like with their notepad being like, all right, so how do you feel about this war? And there's like bullets going on around their head. And like that was like the crazy gnarly articles they used to do. And now they're just kind of like. Know. I have to say, though, know, like their war coverage was like down. pretty interesting. Yeah. Our old stuff, like when they first started out, they did like skate vids and war coverage. And yeah, drugs. They really did do skate vids. And fucking drugs. Yeah, yeah, and drugs. drugs. Yeah. They, they interviewed so many drug dealers. <laughs> Anyway, we but digress yeah, yeah. from the Vice article. But yeah, I, I, I like I like the Babadook. It's it's a very interesting premise. I haven't seen a movie like this. This is my first time watching it, so nice. I I enjoyed it generally. All right. This is actually my second time watching it, and the first time I watched it, I didn't really read anything about it, and so going in, everyone oh, was talking zero about idea. yeah, everyone was talking about how scary it was, and so I was assuming it was a lot of jump scares, you know. So the first time I watched it, I didn't really like it personally because it didn't scare me like I thought it would. But uh, I went back and did a little bit of research about it. And coming back to watch it again, I realized just what a powerful statement it is about people who experience post-traumatic stress. And how, you know, the more you subdue the stress and try to ignore the trauma of what happened, the worse it gets, you know. And yeah. I feel like that was something the director actually talked about in an interview that she tried to portray in this movie. Is how... 
dealing with trauma is obviously a very painful experience and oftentimes suppressing the trauma and not experience it can lead to a whole other array of problems right and things compound on her as she goes on through the film so it's like showing exactly that and there's just a lot of themes of her feeling isolated you know because after experiencing something like that it's hard to relate to things right anymore and so there's a lot of scenes like when she was talking to the other moms and she was sitting by herself you know what all those other moms were bitches yeah they They were were fucking mean i was so happy when she told them off oh my goodness yeah she really did was like she was like what fuck you and your kid wow wow you can't work out that much Wow, my fucking husband's dead. And even when she was talking with, uh, I think it was her sister at the yeah. park, and her sister was like, I just think you need to get over it, and just talking shit about like her kid and how I was crazy also her glad that is. little kid went flying off the place. Yeah, you don't have a dad. Child. Dude, the oh. meanest kid. Honestly, kids were like that. Kids are like that. Yeah, it's terrible. But child was asking for it. <laughs> just saying. She got brand starked, and we all know. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I was right, but it was a good. It was the correct thing oh i also God. love the line he's like i broke her nose in two different places i know so <laughs> he casual was proud. He i was love proud. that but kid to comment on what you said about yeah, yeah. like people suppressing it i'll make a wager yes i'll make a bet the more you demo- deny the stronger i get yeah the literal line from the little book mm-hmm. which is such a strong symbolism to how you have to deal with mental illness basically yeah uh, in this case, she's dealing with depression, with post-traumatic stress, with a lot of anxiety. Postpartum, possibly. Postpartum, as well. possibly. Yeah. She's getting hammered in all directions. So it's just so many things that usually come together, and the film uses its tone and setting to kind of drive that point home, where she's experiencing anxiety from things that are going on around her, so noises. Uh, like the lighting in some cases. She thinks that she sees things like in the police uh, office. She looks over and thought she saw the Babadook, but it's actually just a coat. Yeah. I've um, done that before. I've done that so many times. I do this all the time. Yeah, but do you pull a handgun out? <laughs> <laughs> just pull out your Glock. I got it. <laughs> I've done that before. I'm just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, God, there's nothing there. Let's put this away. That's like that chair that's full of clothes. <laughs> it's just in your I room. I have two of those in yeah. my room. Looks like a man just sitting in your chair. You're like, what the fuck? My fan also looks like a dude just standing oh, there. Oh, yikes. <laughs> that would freak fun. me out. Yeah, it's not cool. See, this, is why I, this is why I sleep with Christmas lights on. Yeah, right. I can what? see everything. <laughs> what, did you, what did you think of the Babadook? To, to, to answer John's question, uh, I've seen the Babadook probably three or four times since it was released. And it was introduced by like a film buff friend of mine to me. He was like, hey, if you don't like horror movies, this is a horror movie you should check out. And I was like, it's called Babadook. And I was like, that's a dumb fucking name for a movie. Uh-huh. Jesus Christ. What the fuck? And then, and so, but then I watched it, you know, then I watched it and I was like, that was actually pretty interesting. Like, holy crap. And then he started bringing up all of the concepts that I totally missed during uh, it. Because I was just like, oh, this is just, like, creepy. But I think it's pretty cool and interesting. And I didn't understand why. And then he was like, oh, if you consider if you consider that, like, like these, these points we'll mention later on in the episode, of course. But, uh, like, if you pay attention to these particular things and, like, really, like, critically think about it, there's a lot of symbolism and a lot of um, things that are referenced in this book in real and in, in relation to like grief and I mean, mental Ill, health illness, like we've all been discussing already. Kent was really specific about wanting to make the Babadook very lo-fi as in like, it's just like a cutout that they like wheeled forward at some point in the film. And uh, the only exception is the one person who dressed up as the Babadook and like leaps down from the ceiling, which is like a terrifying scene. Cause he like jumps into her. 
at that point and she has to like vomit out all of the blackness that's coming from her so it's like she was very sad on making it like a simple monster i have a question about throwing up black shit yeah uh, so how many we've times seen it more than so once. many times in horror movies i've seen someone throws up black stuff and we, it's, we've seen it now in this movie we saw it in Jennifer the lighthouse Bottom. we saw it in jennifer's body we also saw it in um mandy so here's my question <laughs> for you guys is what does throwing up black goof represent? Dispelling evil. That's like one of the biggest ones. It's like yeah, that's, that's what like I figured on the spiritual side of it. It's like, yes, you're trying to dispel evil from yourself right. from the point and lens of mental illness. It's her trying to cleanse herself of these things that are happening, which is the so like the Babadook ended up being like the manifestation of like the worst possible thing that can happen w- when you're experiencing mental illness, which is that you're going to like literally hurt another person. In this case, it was hurting her own child. And so she was trying to get that feeling out of her. We're forgetting a very uh, crucial character that was harmed in this movie, which would be the dog. <laughs> uh, d- no! So this dog... <laughs> <laughs> He just got stabbed, right? Like, just no, he, no, he broke he his neck. Snaps his neck oh, with her bare hands. My God, like. <laughs> I'm thinking of another movie. Sorry. Does the dog die? Dot com. Oh, it does. It absolutely does. There's a very special note that says no animals were harmed that, in the that, making that, of this film. <laughs> that, that little marshmallow gets demolished. <laughs> like, oh, no. say, like, <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> I'm so glad the old lady was okay, though true yeah i like her oh, yeah yeah, yeah. A she, good wholesome neighbor she really was just trying to make sure she's okay yeah. <laughs> to be honest though i feel like her coming in at that moment saved her yeah oh because yeah because i think honestly what fueled the babadook was just her feeling of despair and isolation and having somebody come over and just be like hey like i care about you like i'm here if you need me i think that was sort of like a, oh there is hope in the situation also right. like she also tells her i love both of you guys very much that is a sweet uh, so that was like a really sweet piece of dialogue where she goes up and like has a nice genuine like authentic moment where she's like i actually like care about you guys and want you want to know like how you're doing and that is enough for her to be like oh wow like there are other people and this is this made me think of when people feel like they're super isolated and they will get a moment like that with a friend or like anybody who kind of approaches them they'll like tell them something that's surprising and that'll like not be expected from somebody because they have these intrusive thoughts of like nobody wants me around these are like things that you're going to experience all alone and like no one wants to help you and so when she got that moment it was like one of the turning points for how she might feel about the whole situation definitely i mean one of the things uh, she's also like dealing with like loneliness as well because one of her lifelines for taking care of her son has has just been like smote out of existence and so she hasn't been able to fully cope with that right that's where like the babadook comes in and nobody's helping her they're telling her to get over it they're like, why are you not done with your grief? Like, you need to move on from this. And it's so insensitive for almost anyone in there who's just like, I know your husband died and shit, but like, raise your kid, fuck. And you're like, this is so brutal yeah. for the mom who's just trying to deal with all this shit that's going on. And it's like basically untreated mental illness because she's not talking to anybody. Yeah, she didn't have any sort of therapist. She just had some psychiatrist that was prescribing her drugs. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. That's Which actually, is bad practice, yeah. in all honesty. You should never be prescribed drugs without also therapy coinciding with it. I'm glad you brought it up because that was another aspect of the film that it wasn't that big, but it is something that should be discussed because people have a lot of... Uh, they're not sure if they should go talk to therapists because of that fact. They might just be like, 
oh, you just need this, and then prescribe there you. There you go. Zoloft helps. Yeah, yeah exactly. Here's a Band-Aid. And, like, basically give you some medication that might sedate you at some point, or you're just like, I'm going to have bad side effects because of this. Yeah. And then you're not actually dealing with the other aspect of it, which is that you really do need to talk to somebody mm-hmm. in addition to taking whatever medication that they give you. I think it should be something of note that uh, mental health medications absolutely do help people. Yes. It's, it's, I've been doing a lot of research on ADHD and whatnot and its effect on the people who have it. And it's not really that well recognized of a mental disorder at all. Right. Being as I am one of those people. So uh, I can say that Ritalin and Adderall and whatnot helped me when I was a lot younger. And I just honestly don't enjoy the feeling of those like yeah. nowadays in my adult life. But um, I'd say that they do help people, but I think one of the messages that the Babadook is trying to get across is that you can't rely on medication to deal with your problems. You have yeah. to actually face them yourself. Right. Because ultimately, when she did defeat the Babadook, is because she confronted it. She just said, you're not going to hurt us anymore. Yeah. You're not welcome. She also, like, bonded again with her with her son. Yeah. And was, like, she got into the unconditional love aspect of the relationship and was like, I have to protect him. Right. And I think that was what was missing the whole time from the relationship yeah. and why she felt so insecure with what they had is because she just didn't feel that love aspect. But it's understandable. After experiencing something so traumatic, it's hard to go back back and you know show love to anybody right that's the thing like after the home alone sequence where he's able to like strap her down into the fucking basement he has that heartfelt moment that like made me actually go aw where he's like you don't love me but that's the babadook oh that's right but i love you and i was just like oh i hate you kid but you you hit hit it right there and that's when she's able to fucking throw it up the moments that i love the kid are when he's fucking Kevin and when he's Kevining her around and whatnot and just like setting up trip wires. He has the catapult on his back. Dude. He yeah. stabs his mom in the leg. Uh, <laughs> oh gee, he was too prepared. Yeah, no, he's he seen enough ready. horror movies. He's like, I know what to I do. I love that backpack catapult that he built. Can I get one? <laughs> yeah, I like. Where do we get these? You, it was like just. It was literally just a catapult with leather straps that he just put on his fucking back and like loaded up whatever he could and just. I'm pretty sure he hit with like everything that he was shooting. Yeah, <laughs> he, he didn't miss. No marks. Yeah, I was like, I'm pretty sure he got it every time. So we've we've touched on a few of them. What 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 were like the main mental illnesses that you saw that she was dealing with? Did we miss any? I think we got them all. I think that was all of them, right? I don't think there was anything well, else. Postpartum say- depression, you've got grief, you've got, I don't know. I, in, Isolation. Uh, isolation, you have that one as well. Post-traumatic which, stress. Yep. Um, also, this t- this touches on something that's not common in film, which is the idea that you might not exactly like your children. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of films, they always have these moments where like, parents will just never get mad at their kids unless it's a situation where they're like this kid's getting abused right in which case there's no middle ground and so for this one it actually explores the idea that you're not going to like your kid 100 percent of the time <laughs> and so this is a weird thing because they always want a mother to be loving to their child like right. it's supposed to be inherently a thing that mothers do is that because they're a woman they have to be able to love their child no matter what and i feel like usually if there's ever like a bad family dynamic that's portrayed it's always the father that's sort yes. of the one that causes all the trouble it's never the mother the mother's always like taking the repercussions from the father trying to put things back together you know but in this case you know it, she was the problem i don't want to say that but she did let the Duke in yeah so that was the thing is that 
it it got to a point where it was affecting both of them and this is such a strong allusion to the idea that if you let mental illness take over your whole life basically you're not going to just be like interrupting your life anyone who's around you might experience something bad too because of your responses to them and typically that's when you want to classify it as a disorder if not only it's harming yourself but also other people especially with a child i mean like you're the sole provider Mom, I'm hungry. Well, they up the stress by bringing in child protective services to her home and being like, your kid might get taken away because you're not dealing well with this. And, you know, I've experienced that a few times when I was younger. So I understand the tension is insane when these people come into your home and threaten to break apart your family. Yeah. All because of something that you are not really in control of, or at least at the time you aren't. Not to mention all, like, almost all the rulings that child protective services does are pretty bullshit yeah to be honest but that's a whole other conversation that's a large much larger conversation or something like that but she added that element in just so you could have an idea of what sort of was at stake for her and then it moves really nicely into how does she resolve these things so how does she confront it how does she overcome her mental illness or how does she come to terms of what she's experiencing? And I think that was kind of a turning point for her because yeah. now she has the threat of having her child being taken away and she's yeah. starting to realize I actually do love this kid, you know? So on that note, do you guys feel like horror was a good vehicle to talk about mental illness? Yeah. yeah. It, Which, was, it was really a, a really original way to do yes. to do something along those lines. I haven't really seen that many movies that deal with Me that. Me neither, actually. Maybe uh, it's been a while since I've seen, but maybe something like Jacob's Ladder might okay, be considered yeah. might be good, like a like a, a mental illness uh, commentary in a way. One that did talk about it but didn't really do a good job of discussing it was a uh, frailty, which was the guy who said God was telling him to murder people, and like that nice. was who Abraham, <laughs> right? I know. <laughs> And, like, that's the movie. He's, like, God's telling me to go kill this person. And he, like, cuts them into pieces and has his whole family help him. It's it's ridiculous. It has, um, not, is it Joaquin Phoenix? I think he's, like, the dad. Yeah. Wild. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the movies I could think of. How do you feel about the manis- manifestation of the Babadook? How do you feel about him as a horror character, horror, horror villain? That was something I want to talk about. As I noticed, um... That the Babadook had characteristics that were like a cicada. And you know, the cicadas always come out in the hottest times of the summer. And if you ever heard them, they just have this consistent, like, buzzing hum that they'll do when they're very chittery, crickety creatures. Oh, shit. They do that with the book. You always hear the cicadas with the book, and as soon as she closes it. And what's interesting is cicadas come out usually in the dog days of the summer. So the hottest times usually around this time. And this time of the year is noted for people going insane just because of the heat. And (laughs) so that could have also played a role is that like she was just sort of at her breaking point with the heat. I forgot about that. that. Madness is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's why most serial killings happen in summer. Not to mention they're also in Australia and Australia is hot. (laughs) And they got some crazy ass things out there. Yeah. You want to live in the bush? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Also like weird enough most serial killings in summer in california happen because people leave their doors unlocked yes yeah and their oh windows open God. when it's hot like the night stalker we we've heard about yeah the there's an obscene amount of people that leave their front door open all the time i mean there was that serial killer who got caught and said i only killed people if they left their do- front door unopened that was his like only qualifier which yeah. is nuts <laughs> yeah just you know, stalk around the neighborhood look for a house that's vulnerable you know, somebody once told me something very wise and it was like, if everyone in the world was trustworthy, we wouldn't have locks on our doors. 
And what's interesting is <laughs> it's true. Did, there was a time when people didn't lock their doors and that kind of stuff because that just wasn't heard of. But I right. think it was the Night Stalker that was yes. in Los Angeles that made the people of L.A. start locking their doors at night. Yeah, he totally made it a thing for people to like for sure have their doors locked in addition to having those uh, metal doors on the front. So is the Night Stalker a villain or a hero? <laughs> I'm gonna go with that. I'll, I'll tell you this about the it Night depends Stalker, on though. how you look at it and what you want to What's choose that? to I'll tell you this about the yeah, Night Stalker. Yeah, exactly. How do you choose to look at a murderer? Yeah, that's like saying fucking 9/11 was good because it helped us get air, airport security. That's a fucking <laughs> fucked up thing, dude. Man. Fuck off. No, we got fuck well, airport. We security. got the we got that branch of of the government. Not TSA. Branch. That no, not the TSA. Uh, fuck. The space, space force. force. It was the space <laughs> force, right, John? <laughs> Fucking space force. <laughs> I'm so mad that I don't know what the government agency is. Whatever. Anyway, there was a government agency made after that because of 9 11. Yeah. That didn't exist before that, and I didn't know that. Let me tell you about the Night Stalker real quick, though. Yeah. So, my mom, teenager at the time, got wind that Night Stalker was coming to East LA. She told a friend, they told a friend. Now you got Cholos being like, Night Stalker's coming. We got to beat his ass. Yeah. He comes into the neighborhood. He's going to do his shit. They track him down and beat the living shit out of him. And then he gets caught. Yeah. But not before East LA gets the fucking upper yeah, hand on his I ass. love that story. I actually remember reading about that. There's this book I had found about the Night Stalker, and they detailed all the events of what had happened. And that was something they had mentioned that he got his shit like fucked Literally up. Literally all the homies <laughs> in East LA were like, nah, fuck that shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is one of the best stories about that. They were like, what? No, you're not going to murder anyone uh, in our family. What that's the fuck? how the neighborhood rolls. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to East LA. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking great. But so digressing back to how did it manifest, basically, the the Babadook was basically the manifestation of both the mental illness for her and fears for the child. What do you think of its design, though? It's great. It's like it leaves a lot to your imagination besides like even the glimpses you got of the dude in full makeup were so brief that you didn't really see what he looked like until you do like a still of it. And you get to see like what he looked like with his makeup on, mm-hmm. but the cutout is great. Like that's what you see as a child, and it's like just, when you're yeah, in like standing. yeah, you don't know what's happening. And like the, <laughs> I love the effect of them like moving it forward because it just made me think of like yes, this is like the epitome of German expressionism right here. Yeah, right. to that's see what I it thought. in the black and white just with the scene moving forward. Um, I I also think how it knocks is fucking terrifying. Oh yeah, yeah. it does the the three quick ones and then boom boom boom. Yeah. Uh, there was one thing I noticed. Uh, I had been doing some research about some occult things and ghost sightings and interesting stuff like that. And there's a story about the Highgate Vampire. Uh, Highgate Cemetery is in oh, London, yeah. I believe. And during the 80s, there is this huge wave of people seeing this thing. And they were all seeing the same thing called the Highgate Vampire. They eventually coined the term. But when I was looking at the images of the Babadook in this, where you could actually see the dude in full makeup, it looked a lot like the drawing depictions of the Highgate Vampire. So that was something interesting I noted. If you have not heard about the Highgate Vampire, I recommend looking up. It's pretty interesting. I like the theories that came out of that. Some people were guessing that because some of the headstones were so tall, that if they looked at it just right in the fog, it looked like a, like a man standing there. Mm. And so people might have just been getting spooked at shadows. It's possible, <laughs> but there was... 
a dozen accounts, yeah, probably a more, of like detailed images, and they all saw a similar thing. It was a man with the hat, very yep. similar to the hat worn by the Babadook. The top hat that like Jack the Ripper wore. Uh, just a pale face, very dark features, long fingers, tall guy, you know. Yeah. It's a pretty, it's spitting image. It's I love urban knives legends for hands. and stuff like that. Yeah, knives for hands. Jesus. Makes me think of like, ah, oh, yes, have you seen the Mothman? Uh-huh. <laughs> like things like that. Like people bring up stuff and it's like in a concentrated area. So like you don't know if it's just somebody fucking around like in Scooby-Doo or if it's just uh, like, Scooby-Doo. or if it's legit like something supernatural going on in these areas. Something I wanted to bring up was the fan theory that someone has for the ending. Okay, what's what do they have for the fan theory? A big thing about this movie is the dad, and we haven't really touched on that. His uh, his basement is full of his belongings. It yeah. is basically his area. She begins to sleep with the violin that he used to play. The kid practices magic, right? Right, he's learning. He's learning basic that, yeah. magic. He's watching DVDs on how to do magic. Yeah. After the Babadook oh, subsides, that's right. Yeah, he's on. doing like the visual magic. After the Babadook subsides. And she contains it. The theory is that the Babadook is actually the reincarnation of the dad coming to join back with his family. I believe it. I agree with that. Yeah, I actually thought about that at some point. However, because, I mean, they have very similar coats and and, and clothes. However, they believe in this fan theory, they theorize that Samuel gets turned into the Babadook and is the one in the basement at the end of the movie being scared to deal with everyone while the father takes the manifestation of Samuel and that's how he's able to do so much high advanced magic by the end of the movie oh my with little to no training. They believe that like the dad might've had something to deal with the occult because they glimpse at it here and there. He was like within like all of his like property and items within the basement. But that's what they think. They think that the father actually trans transferred planes into the body of his son. And Samuel is now the kid eating worms in the corner, scared because he doesn't have his family. Oh, my God. That's gnarly. (laughs) Uh, That fits really well into what's been described in the narrative and what you see visually. I have to consider that. Well, shit. I know. I got to think. That's a wrap up for the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Have a good night. (laughs) Holy shit. All right. How did you guys feel about the ending? I have some feelings. So ultimately, my take about this movie was all about the mental disorder aspect of it. And in a lot of cases with disorders like depression, are these things don't really go away. They subside and they can be dealt with and managed, yeah. that's for sure. And I think in the end, you know, how she defeated the Babadook was by confronting it. And in therapy, you know, they say that's the biggest thing you can do is yeah. confront the trauma. And after that, she still kept it around, but she was totally in control of it for the most part, question mark. But she would also, she was nurturing it and taking care of it, but not necessarily like ignoring it anymore. She was confronting the thing. Like you are here, but you don't have to be a bad thing. I'm in control of the situation. Yeah. And ends up like dealing or, or what's the word? Um, kind of maintaining her sanity while also dealing with it by feeding it. Right. I agree. I agree with Justine on this take. But I would say that if you want to, if you look at it like met- metaphorically, she's dealing with the Babadook. It's causing her a whole bunch of stress and issues. It's causing her to like, uh, uh, like lash out against her son and the dog and uh, like basically whatever her, what's left of her family. And I feel like the Babadook is a representation of grief. That's pretty much my, my staunch take on this. And that 
it shows that by it being in the basement and being fed worms and whatnot shows that your grief will always still be there like years afterwards, but you can do things to cope and live with yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And hence feeding the worms is her way of coping with the grief and keeping it at bay so that it just comfortably stays where it's supposed to. Right. In the past. <laughs> In the dark recess of your mind. I thought she was going to fucking kill her kid. I didn't believe that ending one bit. I know. I thought she was going to kill Because they kid too. allude to it on the TV. Yeah. The Babadook comes out and and then they do the fake news report where it's like, God, that was good. They they kill like she stabs him with a knife on the day of his birthday. I was like, it's his birthday today. She's gonna fucking kill him. Yeah. Oh my god. I mean, she already killed the dog, and the Babadook predicted that. Or I do know that. as part of like movie making standards, like the MPAA rating system, you cannot show a child getting stabbed on screen. You just can't do it. It is like against the rules because they consider it to be extremely violent and poor taste. Yeah, just like it's like <laughs> illegal to put a fucking child murder in your Fallout video game. It's an RPG, dog. Let me do what I want. <laughs> Yo, there's mods for that. Yeah, there's mods for that. <laughs> I want to fucking punch the kid in Skyrim. He keeps telling me, hey, I got a good deal over here. Fuck you. <laughs> I got a good deal over here. <laughs> All right. Did you guys have any favorite scenes then? Of the fucking really nice one where she actually gets to like she goes down to the coat and touches it and then you just look at her like gaw at the fucking ceiling and you see a f- giant flash of white and you could see like her like her whole mouth is like it looks like she's being blown with a leaf blower but it's just like <laughs> gaping wide just like oh fuck you don't even see the babadook but you he's fucking huge that made me think of the lighthouse yeah when you see the bright light in uh and in in Ephraim's face yep like when he goes up to the top of the lighthouse and he's just like screaming in silence <laughs> beautiful <laughs> um as far as this movie goes my favorite scene one thing i really want to touch on is i really liked the lighting in this movie which we already talked yeah. about but one of them are these scenes that show the passage of time yeah where it's just oh, like yeah. where it's dark on one side and then the light just completely moves over everything you're like oh now we're in morning that's right and, and it's mm-hmm. used to some really good effects so i like all the scenes with that because i felt they're really impactful but not my favorite but i wanted to give those a shout out because they're cool you're talking about like when she fell asleep yeah there's one where she's watching tv and it happens and yeah it just passes to morning and you know she's been up all, all night. night yeah, yeah. Or just like when she's like sleeping in her bed and whatnot, it does yeah. the thing to show the passage of days. Oh, it, it's like jerky. Like she's like moving because yeah. it skips frames while yeah. it's doing it. Yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and it's sort of like, but it's also like it's just a lighting effect yeah, that they put on. Really that good. just really is a very nice touch. Very, very, ooh, very succinct. Yeah. Um, and then uh, my favorite scene, I think, is when the Babadook is like first introduced when it like crawls on the ceiling. And then I love Justine's dis- uh, description of it as a cicada because that makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah, to me. yeah. I didn't even consider it like, it, cause it almost does look very bug like yeah. it's up there. And I just it love does. how twitchy it is up there. And that's like the creepiest shit. You're just like, it's twitchy. Yeah. It is moving up the ceiling and it goes like, bah, bah, uh... dook, dook, you know, and it just does that to her. And you're like, no, 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 no. I don't want no, any no, of Get this. out of the room. Get out. Just hide under the covers. I guess that'll save you. Uh, right. <laughs> it, it, it saves everybody. Just hide under the covers. You can't see it, yeah, right? That, that's probably one of my favorite my favorite scenes and the meme scene. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also, like, good one to note is the fucking, just the book itself. It's super oh, detailed, yeah, right. super The introduction fun. to the book is fantastic. And it keeps fucking coming back. Yeah. She destroys it, lights it on fire, and it still comes back to her doorstep. Mm-hmm. What a, what Supernatural. A cool- 
What a cool like input of like a cursed item. You rarely see those in film now. Like, it is not right. common to have a cursed item because people don't do it well. The last movie that did that was that cursed box that was supposed to be part of like Jewish culture. Oh, the Dybbuk box. I actually yeah. have done a little bit of research about Dybbuk boxes. So the the readings for it are creepy as fuck. Oh yeah, no, this is some real shit. Like there's real accounts yeah. of people opening this shit up and things going crazy. The demons that are supposed to come out of that box is like one of the most terrifying things but the movie was so bad yeah and that i feel like that's why they're not they're not doing it well they're just not doing cursed items well <laughs> what, what is the box called a dybbuk box a dybbuk box it's essentially a wooden box that's yeah. sealed with wax and then there's certain items that are placed inside the box that are supposed to relate to a certain demon and usually the demon is placed into this box after an exorcism and the items placed in there are of the person that was exorcised and so the demons in these boxes are obviously pissed off because they're placed in there after an exorcism. Not only that, it's a box that they're trapped in eternally until somebody comes and opens it. So there's been a lot of accounts of hauntings from people who've opened these boxes. It's, there's a lot of lore behind it. It's really interesting. Can't just go around opening boxes. Nah. <laughs> Especially ones that have, what is it, Hebrew scripture on the outside? Right. <laughs> Gnarly. But I think probably my favorite scene was same as Murr, the ending when the the confronting of the Babadook mm. and it just bursts into this ray of light. I, I really like the scene where it just ran down into the, the basement. When I was doing a little bit of research about like the camera work they did here, a lot of this was done with handheld. Yeah. And this part specifically, they put the handheld camera on a rope. Yeah. And just ran down the stairs with it. So it just looks completely chaotic and in disarray. I thought that was a really interesting way to show this thing retreating now into the darkness after being defeated. Oh, man. Just like an animal. Yeah, running. this was a bit of handheld camera work that I did not hate. Yeah, right. Because I usually do not like handheld camera work because... Well, it wasn't uh, nauseating, at least, because it was short yeah. enough. Well, I think that's why I don't like it, because yeah. I get motion sick really easily. So just watching some of this shit, I'm like... Like watching, a, what was that movie, Cloverfield? Couldn't oh, do it. Geez. Couldn't do it. The whole thing is handheld, and I was like, I'm going to fucking get sick watching this. What about Blair Witch Project? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was awful. <laughs> I, I thought the Blair Witch Project was an okay movie, and then I went to watch it, and I realized that it's an awful movie. It I was just it, original. Yeah, I watched it when <laughs> I was really young, and you know, I hadn't seen a whole lot of horror at the time, so I thought it was fucking terrifying. But going back a few years later, I was like... A nice replacement hey. for the Blair Witch is VHS. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's a good found footage kind of horror film. You guys talked about it uh, in the past. I really want to talk about it with oh, you guys. Oh, we haven't yet. No, we we I talked about it like on my fourth episode of this podcast, and it was oh, so awful. we got to redo it. So you mean the VHS was the first episode? Was it really the first one? Oh, oh shit! We, that was the that one you did with, with that dude. That's guy. right. Yeah, that guy. We don't talk about it. Uh, yeah, so definitely want to talk about VHS. Probably just VHS by itself because it's like five different stories inside of it. I it's, like it's VHS too. That one's like extreme fucking demon possession. Yeah, the v the fucking oh the Vietnam God. fucking yeah, complex. That, that, was just that shit fucked terrifying. me up. I watch it every year because it's just so fun. Yeah, fuck that. All right. Did you guys have any final thoughts then? Did you have a favorite scene? Oh, that's right. I didn't do mine. <laughs> um, I I think like you guys have mentioned most of them. The the confrontation is great because you have the cutout of the Babadook that's kind of being wheeled forward as she's dealing with her own like extreme feelings during the situation, but also the scene where she goes into the police station to like talk to these guys and be like, there's something happening. And like, they just don't believe her. I'm getting stalked. Yeah. And they're just like, 
dismissing everything that she's saying and they, it's so annoying. they're like laughing and looking at her like she's crazy and it's like i appreciated that the entire film was just bleak like all of it is very dark palette yeah but it's not boring like everything you're looking at in the set is very detailed it's not just random stuff that's chosen something i made note of is that like the architecture is very dark always yes. the walls are dark but the things that they're involved with are always very white and just bland looking like yep. the food is just like potato soup yep something just totally bland and tasteless their clothing are just like bleak and white pastel colors really interesting contrast between the people and the surroundings i think the only sense of color you get for the film is when there's blood yeah and that's that's it even then it's like a darker color too it's not like right and there weren't that many scenes with blood i think no. probably the first one was when that little girl got punched <laughs> <laughs> yeah right and then when she got she stabbed. Had a bloody nose and then when the mother got stabbed yeah um i do also appreciate the scene where the mom kind of snaps and like cuts the phone line kills the fucking dog like i feel like she was possessed in that moment she because was. her her characteristics were completely different from how she was before yeah so i've watched a few things on this where the director said that that was the intention was that the babadook has now entered her body she's fully possessed and this is what happens when people are like when they're manic when they right. when they do things that are not consistent with their behavior they're like and out their of body yeah and they can't really it's like when you go to court and someone does something because they're crazy they can't be held responsible for certain things because they like weren't in their right mind and right. so for her doing all these things was the manifestation of that mental illness for her being so extreme that she's like threatening her child's life with a knife right. <laughs> at that point and it's just like who are you calling like you're not calling anybody so that was like a great bit of acting from her and the kid mm-hmm. um which i guess was cut different at different times because they didn't want to have a fucking lady brandishing a knife at a kid (laughs) for these scenes so it's like that was that's well done for them for their production work to be able to get something like this cut together because you only got the full effect of what was happening in the final cut and also for doing things in a very humanitarian way yeah they didn't didn't fuck up any of these actors yeah but i mean that was pretty much it guys any final thoughts i I mean Oh, no. Go ahead. <laughs> are, are we, whoa. Are, 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 we, we got our ratings, right? To not still yet. Do, oh, no, uh, not yet. Not yet. That's next. Well, let's do it now. Uh, ratings is <laughs> right now. And along with final thoughts, yes, do a combo. Yeah, yeah there you yeah, go. Combo I give the Duke an 8, like 8.5 to like a 9. Just because I feel like there was like a little bit of melodramatic acting sometimes. Okay. That kind of took me out of it a little bit. But I love the general premise, though. And I think that it's solid. Um. And that's, I think that it's a great movie if you want to see an interesting portrayal of grief and how to deal with, like, the psychological aspects that come with that. I give it a solid 8.5. Good original idea. And I think it's a perfect runtime. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't feel like it, it, really was, it dragged is. on. It got straight to the point and shows something that is not very much shown in film. Ironically, it's a long film. It's almost two hours. And it's great because it's, it's like an hour feel. and 30, isn't it? No, it's a little bit longer. Oh, okay. Yeah, she just is really good at writing. <laughs> yeah. she's, she's a well, she knows how to really pace everything. I think I would probably also give her about 8.5. 8. Uh, 
because it didn't really feel like a long movie like a lot of times when i'm watching horror movies there's the down moments that you don't really pay attention to you kind of take out your phone but there are no moments like that when i was watching this i was totally involved with everything and the pacing was like it got to one point to the other and it kept continuing in a really good flow some moments were longer longer than others but it really like helped up the ante and the anxiety that the characters were feeling I love the visuals on this movie. I think my only thing is I just really like to be scared and I'll give a horror movie a perfect score if it actually scares me. So that's the only reason I wouldn't give it a perfect score. Otherwise, like I think it's a really good psychological thriller. I would give this film like a 9.5. I think it's insanely original for all the things that it talks about. It's well done for a debut film. So for her to create this on her first out, <laughs> first going out yeah, for a film is, is really impressive as a director and as a writer because she wrote it too. And then to be able to make that sort of acting come from these actors is something that's really hard to do. Oh, yeah. Props to her for her methods of guiding the yeah, actors. To guide them through In what it's going to feel like. Way. Yeah, exactly. And she wasn't like yelling at them to start the scene and then stopping and then it just feels like awkward i think it would have felt more melodramatic if that's what she had done but i think some of the scenes felt like that because it was coming from a theater background of acting yeah which has to be very expressionistic because people have to see what you're doing yeah on stage. very big yeah you can't just do like small things which is sometimes it doesn't translate well to film yeah. where you're like why are they being so dramatic about what they're doing there and mm-hmm. it's just because they come from a theater background right. and both of them came from a theater background both the main girl and the director so that's why it ended up sort of turning out that way and then they did uh, an amazing job at world building the the bleak world that she lives in that she's having to deal with that's dark and grungy and just like dirty also something to know uh the house that they were in was actually built for this movie uh so like victorian style house and there aren't many other houses in the area that look like that it was made specifically for this kind of feel yeah it was on a soundstage yeah they they built every single room of that house and detailed all of it. So mm-hmm. the person who was on uh, set construction for that movie had a lot of work to oh, do for yeah. that because they made every single thing. And because it was made on a soundstage, they could cut away walls to get certain shots, which is why you get some really, really tight shots of like seeing the entire room and then it rotates around because they could remove walls instead of having to deal with the confined space of like an already built home. Yeah. So it worked to their advantage to be able to do that. So some cool stuff. It's a lot of hard work they put into it, which is why I appreciate it a lot. I have another thing to say. Yeah. Uh, with everything that I have been listening to the rest of you guys discuss, I would say that this movie is a very good example of showing and not telling. Yep. Yeah. It's a really good example, and it's really good storytelling in general. So props Agreed. to it for doing that. Yeah. I like that they carried out the themes of storytelling with the book and how things were sort of uh, cartoony almost. And they doing didn't, stop motion and whatnot for certain scenes. And they didn't need to explain anything about the book because it's all right there. Yeah. And if yep. they pan through it, you can kind of, you as the viewer, piece it all together yourself. Agreed. And that's, the, that's what makes it a great movie. Yeah. Nice. All right. Then before we go, we also need to mention that we have a new Patreon fan. Ooh. Who's actually in the room with us? Hey, come here. Do a cameo appearance. The other Eric. Yes, yeah, the other, other Eric. Eric. Cameo appearance. What's up? What's up, you guys? I'm going to listen to this later. Hey, what up? <laughs> what up? Hey. Sweet. Just a few days ago, joined. Go ahead. I'll leave the movie about a kid 
with this edgy-ass t-shirt I wore specifically for it. It screams, and it says, We scream our way into existence at, in nine months after someone else gets fucked. <laughs> Mic drop. Oh, jeez. Who, who made this shirt? Oh, okay. Dang. There's like a gun on the floor and everything. There's like a woman. <laughs> I like the fetus Reaper coming with out. the tits out, smoking a cigarette on the couch. Tits out, While smoking this, like, a cigarette. craziness hey. is going like, right, If you yeah, notice, God. she has like a heroin needle in her fucking arm. I love you, street sex. <laughs> Edgelords. For real. Oh, my God. So, yes, we have a new Patreon fan uh patron who is now contributing some cash to our podcast so we'll definitely get a special episode for you for something that you're interested in and then as we mentioned before if you want to recommend something and have it talked about on the podcast the easiest way to do it join the patreon and give us recommendation because we will get it done within like the next week or two or something like that after you joining i mean also you could also just comment on our posts also, leave us yep. comments yeah. on things because we've already had people disagree with us. Yeah. <laughs> so right. so we're wel- we welcome you to the yeah, fray. It's totally fine. <laughs> we'll deal with you in the best way customer <laughs> service reps know how. Uh, <laughs> I know. I know that. I, I gave her like the most customer service answer Oh, it was possible. great. It was so good. Oh, I was like, yes. It's like, actually, I did go to college. <laughs> right. I know. Sorry. I have a degree, but whatever. Uh, so. <laughs> if she was in front of us, she wouldn't be wearing a mask. Oh. Man. Dang. <laughs> yeah, put it That's that way. Oh. That's great. Uh, Karen, where are you at? If you can, leave us a review on the Apple Podcast or anywhere that you can leave reviews for the podcast. We're on all the social media, so you can go look for BDTGH underscore podcast, or you can go to the website BDTGHpodcast.com. You can listen to the episodes there, or you can follow them, follow them through to one of the streaming sites. <laughs> Fuck you, Mer. <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> not without dinner first. Yeah, not without dinner first. Oh, Ooh, dang. All right. A classy ho. Okay. Yeah, for real. I got to buy dinner and drinks first. Yeah. If any, any singles in the area are looking to get uh, mingled, <laughs> hit up Murr. Buy him dinner first. <laughs> uh, buy him dinner first. Mingled by the mong. That's for you salsa verde Laps. guys out there. I know who you are. Uh, <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, I'm going to exit the room now. Well, thank you so much. Wait, Mer, Mer, oh, For coming to talk about these two films. Point of view. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what's your point of view, Mer? This, this point of view? Short and interrupted by a child. <laughs> oh. Oh. oh, my God. Yo. <laughs> Mic drop out. Watch to find oh, out. Oh, man. Thanks for discussing this movie because it was amazing and there was a lot of stuff in it. I agree. Thank you for recommending this movie. Wait, who recommended? Was it you? Yep. Yeah. Thank you for this I did a whole report on it in school, so I was like, this is actually, there's a lot here. Uh, he's too prepared. I saw him going over his old PowerPoints, just saying. Yeah, I went over like a year and a half old po- uh, PowerPoint for it. Oh, sorry. No, Prezi. It was Prezi. Oh, his Prezi. <laughs> Fancy. I'm Mitch. I'm Mer. I'm Justine. And I'm Jonathan. Thank you. <laughs>